Keep She Shatters and She Burns fans, this is Hannah Austin, your host for the She Burns podcast. I'm excited to announce that my first book, Hello Head, Meet Heart, is now out on Amazon. For more tips, tricks, and ways that you can burn bright and not burn out, visit me on Amazon at Hello Head, Meet Heart. Happy reading! Welcome to the She Burns Podcast, the go-to podcast for women who were born to burn bright without burning out. When you're at the top of your game, the difference between handling the heat and boiling over comes down to the right self-care advice at the right time. And if you're ready to take your seat around the campfire, these interviews with inspiring women will help you keep your flame alive. Hello, everyone. I'm Hannah Austin, and this is season two of the She Burns podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Kate Abbasi. Kate is a hospitalist in the Portland, Oregon area. She was inspired to become a physician in her teens after her mother died of a genetic form of cancer. She loves to travel, ski, make pottery, paint, and art design in all its forms. She loves spending most of her time not working with her husband, whom she met almost 19 years ago, their four-year-old son, and their dog. Kate, I'm so excited that you're here with me today. So why don't we start with you telling me and our listeners a little bit about your story? Sure. Well, currently I'm you know, a physician at, uh, in the Portland area. I work as a hospitalist. But when you, you know, were saying that you were going to do things about resiliency, the first time anyone ever called me resilient was when I was a teenager. It was my aunt. And she was like, you know, I was in high school and she was just telling me that she was so admiring how resilient I was. Mm -hmm. And I was like... I'm a teenager. You're a lawyer, like a successful lawyer. I'm a teenager in like grunge phase of the nineties. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was so confused by this. And she was like, you know, me, why am I resilient? And she was so insistent. No, your life has been so hard and you always seem fine. You just, it amazes me at your resilience. And she was just insisted that I was so resilient and I had never thought about it, but you know, she pointed out, you know, my mother had cancer before I even was born. She had it a couple times when I was younger. She has a genetic form of cancer. She had multiple times been given, you know, less than six months to live. She was often in the hospital uh, growing up because back then in the eighties, they'd like, you know, put you in the hospital to even do chemo. Yeah. So I was, Often, you know, staying at her sister's, my aunt on my mother's side house on a farm working or, you know, with my aunt in New York or also, you know, Iowa didn't have child labor laws until I think they were the last state to adopt it. So I was working like in the cornfield for 10 hours and working on the farm, the dairy farm, just, you know, really hard labor. So for her, this was just like the most amazing thing that someone was having suffering and was always just fine with it, mm-hmm. you know? But when I thought about it, I was like, I never, I never really thought it was suffering mm-hmm. 
or I think a better yet is that I always just accepted it as part of my life because it kind of was. Well, and did you know differently? I mean, did you know differently? Was it just your, your background and the way you were raised? Did you know anything different? Well, you know, I think because my mother, she never said, why me? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She never said, why did this happen to me? Why? She always had goals. She always had something, you know, she was going to accomplish, even Mm -hmm. if she thought she only had a few months to live. And this aunt that said this to me is on my father's side. So, you know, for her, she was basically saying, wow, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd be saying, why me? Right. But I think just because of my mother's way she lived her life and the fact she, you know, when she wasn't in the hospital, she was doing everything like volunteering. I mean, I... I used to say that I did more volunteering by the age of nine than 99.999% of people will ever do their entire lives. Granted, I don't know if you can call it volunteering when it's (laughs) you're being required to do it. Right. (laughs) It's just what she did. She, she handled her, her diagnosis with not why me, but kind of what can I do about it? What can I do to, you know, better my life and others. So whether it was handing out food to the homeless, which back then, you know, they do it in a, maybe not the ideal, but at least a better way. Back then people would stand in long lines and we'd be handing out like government cheese and, you know, all these kind of things. And I was like a kid doing this, you know, with a, at, at six years old, that's, that's what I was doing. It's what you I, did. It's what you knew. Right. And it's what you did. What I knew. You, help, you help the people. Right. <laughs> Yeah, she we she'd fly to coal mining towns that they were part of um, raising money because these, you know, they didn't have homes or they were going through obviously so much adversity in their lives and and we'd stay in hotels and things. We'd go visit the people in their homes or lack thereof, yeah, <laughs> kind of homes. And I just I was a kid, so I'd go play with the children who didn't have toys, so I brought toys with me. Nice. And uh, but they were you know we'd go outside and play. Sans toys, you know, and they were also just kind of living with the adversity of their situation and kind of okay with it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. And my my mother would kind of take that. She really took that to heart after that first trip we went there and seeing that these kids had no toys. She one made me leave all of my toys with them. <laughs> Two, when we got home, she actually took the majority of my toys put them up and said, you can only have these when guests come over. Otherwise you're going to go outside and play. You're not going to have pinball machines and video, you know, none of this. It's all gone. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to, you know, deal with it. (laughs) You want me to appreciate more with less, Mm -hmm. you know, and every time in the couple times she had cancer um, when I was younger, you know, thinking that these were her, last months or whatever, she always wanted me to continue to appreciate life, Mm -hmm. live with this obstacle, this adversity, this problem that was kind of constantly looming of her, her possible upcoming death. And to just continue to give to others and realize that you want to focus on yourself, but you also have to remember, you're not the only person in this world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and that that's also 
kind of important. Important. For sure. I, I'm hearing a lot of parallels between what your mom taught you and, you know, when your parent dies when you're young, that's such a turning point as well. It's such an inflection point. But in hearing you talk about caring and putting yourself out there and, you know, working with people less fortunate or working with people who need you or need your help, there's quite a parallel there to jumping to being a doctor. So you mentioned before you were inspired to become a physician in your teens after your mom died of a genetic form of cancer. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward to kind of being a, a physician now and life for you in relation to COVID. Like, knowing that resilience and being raised in that way and now seeing a pandemic, right? This is the first kind of big pandemic in our, in your lifetime. What has this been like for you, especially as a human, but then also as a physician? Well, one of the biggest things is in some way, we're lucky being physicians and dealing with COVID because in some ways our life, even though obviously it did change years, it it changed huge in the hospital, Mm -hmm. but in terms of other people, it was like complete isolation. You know, they were going to isolation. They they had so much of their, their connections cut off in some ways. We were lucky because we didn't. Mm -hmm. And the medical community, even though it was so hard. And I think some of the political aspects of the vaccine made it even harder because not everyone in physicians more so, but support staff weren't necessarily always on the same page. So that made it hard, but for the most part in the medical field, you kind of have that support of mm-hmm. each other. Right. Because you you're always there. You're always working. So you're always there. You're always working. It's kind of like, yeah, it's like this, almost like that college dorm experience that never goes away because you're just so, you know what I mean? Like you all have a dark sense of humor. You're all, yeah. you know, you have professionalism, but you kind of see and do and are part of things that other people just aren't a part of. So oh, there's, more have, like, there's more yeah, latex and masking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are lucky that we have that support of each other that a lot of people not in medicine going through COVID didn't have. That is such My a good life, point. That is such a good point. I've talked to a lot of physicians during COVID. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, you know, it's been hard, but this is what we've been training for in medical school. Yeah. Like they gotcha. don't, they didn't want a pandemic, but now they know that that right. class of ID or infectious disease, like, wow, now we know what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, before it was just like these vague training things that they talk about, you know, if this disaster happened, you're like, yeah, okay, that's never going to happen. Do I have to do this PAPR training every year? This is, which are those, you know, for people who don't know, not in the medical field are these like those huge isolation, NASA looking moon walking on the man mask type apparatuses that we wear, you know, before it was just like this vague thing that maybe someday we'd have to do. And then it just became part of daily life. So that yearly training became like a daily thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Remember when we had to do Ebola? Did you ever, so prior to this was the Ebola training. And I think Mm -hmm. there was like that big infection coming through from Africa. And so we had to do these like Ebola drills of like what to do and where to put the the patients in the hospital. They came into urgent care, like yeah. What do you call overhead? And so I feel like I used to make fun when I worked at Kaiser Permanente about, oh God, Ebola drill, or I'm Ebola manager on duty. And then I'm like, now looking back, like, man, that really helped us prepare. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. 
Yeah. So every year you have to do that training where they ask you these questions, you know, how do you handle this? How do you yeah. do, you know, how do you test the pepper? And you're like going back to those questions on the computer. Oh God. Yeah. What did it say? How did I answer that? <laughs> no, I have to actually do it. And then it just becomes routine quickly and you just adapt, you know, <laughs> it's like tying your shoes, right? It's kind of yeah. like an outfit now. I mean, I think moving forward, like if they ever go away or this equipment, it's going to be like, Oh my gosh, I, can actually go to work without all of this protective equipment. You're going to be like 10 pounds lighter. I know. (laughs) I know. I know for sure. I don't know if the masks will go away anytime. uh, Definitely not in the near future. Anyhow, not in the hospital is what I mean outside the hospital. Yes. But I don't think that'll go away, but (laughs) uh. in looking now um, versus like when we started the pandemic, what was it like two or three years ago? I don't know. It's a brain fog. In two or three years ago versus now, what expectations, if any, did you place on yourself this year as compared to last year? So you obviously have your shit together now. You know how to put on your paper. You, you feel like you have a community mm-hmm. at work. But in going to 2022, when it, when the new year came, were you like, okay, this year I'm going to do this, or this year is going to be different? And if so, what what did you what did you say to yourself, if anything? You know, I would say, I think because now we're just learning to live with it. I think all, we're all just cautiously optimistic, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But very optimistic. Mm-hmm. I'm just not professionally, I think anything's changing, but it's more on a personal level that I'm just so excited to look forward to traveling, look mm-hmm. forward to yeah. working out at a gym. Yeah. You know? Without passing out on the machine. <laughs> exactly. Without a mask. Oh my God. I'm looking forward to things, you know, that it seems like we're just in, in an, we were in a never ending cycle. You know, I actually, for the first time, feel like there's just so much to look forward to coming up. That's you know? great. Great. When it was the darkest point, Kate, and you and I talked about this, I remember I was at your house and you're like, I just can't, you know, when is this over? What has kept you up at night? What is that thing that, you know, we all wake up at two or three in the morning and it's like, you know, you're, you're keep going in your head over and over again about something. What is that one thing that's really kept you up? The most difficult thing has been honestly, the vaccine mandate. I a hundred percent support it. It is a hundred percent what was needed. It wasn't the mandate itself. It's the reaction of some of the staff mm-hmm. knowing that they were going to not be fired. I don't say be fired because obviously it's a choice. You have a choice to get vaccinated or not, but you know, if they chose not to get vaccinated, you know, the anger and and the resentment that they had and and we're still working and you had to work with that every day. And that there was, there was, you know, nurses who would tell staff patients, you know, don't get the vaccine. And, you know, you had to, deal with these conflicts and these, this political climate that is just so toxic and horrible. And, you know, it was now in part of our work, whereas before, yes, you knew, you know, everyone comes from a variety of different beliefs and backgrounds, but it didn't affect your work. It wasn't part of what you had to do. And now there was just so much anger and hostility towards people with each other that dealing with that every day and living with that during that, you know, transition to the final date where you either had right. to have it or go was 
just horrible, honestly. Yeah. It was the worst part, honestly. Besides, obviously, a lot of patients dying, especially now who, you know, they're un- unvaccinated and that's hard to watch, you know? Absolutely. I can imagine those things. Yeah. I can imagine being a physician and, you know, being a team, you're you're part of a team, right? So the medical mm-hmm. assistants, the LPNs, the staff, whoever, um, and them choosing not to get vaccinated. And then, you know, you liking them as a person, but may not respect their decision yeah. completely different. So yeah. I think it's one thing to have a pandemic, which you, none of us could control, but now we have a potential option to control some of it. And um, people choosing not to be able to control it or choosing the other direction. And that can be pretty hard. for I know um, when I worked at Kaiser, that was our biggest challenge was just respecting everyone's barriers and boundaries, but also at the same time, being everybody safe and seeing those patients pass away and and on deathbed and not be able to have a family member near them, close to them. It broke all of our hearts. I think the pandemic we could have handled in stride because when you lean in, like you said, as a team, you kind of feel like you're all in this together. But the challenge is the political nature of all of the different moving pieces and the timelines and keeping track of all of that stuff in addition to just keeping everybody alive. So I totally get it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to give me PTSD now. Right, okay. We're going to stop for that. One of the things I like to ask our guests for season two are, you know, is how has your reentry been, right? Connecting with others during COVID changed you. And now that things are, there's a brighter tomorrow and you're feeling like, okay, maybe I can go work out. Uh, maybe I'll go to a concert. Maybe I'll start to travel. Have you found that you're scared to venture out or are you feeling comfortable and feeling like, hallelujah, let's get out there? Yeah, I'm no, I'm definitely more of the hallelujah, let's get out there type. I just, I had signed up for a uh, pottery class and I just took my first pottery class. I love pottery, obsessed with art in all forms, but you know, so I wanted to actually learn to do it, learn to make it myself. I'm on a pottery wheel and this other person on another wheel across from me, she does grants for nonprofits and things. And you know, she was just telling me how much it's affected her and how she just doesn't, she, I mean, you could tell she had lived her life across the world because she was, grew up in the military and her dad was in the air force and lived all around the world and always, you know, moving. So she's just this obvious and super social person. And for her, because she's so outgoing and maybe didn't, you know, didn't have that work type support team anymore. And just, she went into complete isolation that she's saying how difficult she was taking this class. And this is like her first step into the public social realm. And it, this super outgoing social person is just, she's having anxiety with this, you know, I bet. Yeah. I think because of how I grew up, because of so many things I've dealt with in my life, whatever, Anxiety has just never luckily Mm -hmm. been much of an issue for me. I kind of feel like I can face most things that come my way. Yeah. You know, you have to have those coping tools, but I don't know, maybe if I was in her shoes and I was so completely isolated and so having all supports cut off that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's difficult for people. It's difficult for me slightly, you know, but nothing I think compared to 
people who really had to go into isolation. And yeah, I hear you. I think having just hearing you say over and over again, that network of people at the hospital and patients, I mean, really giving you purpose, right, during this time to shift your perspective on life um, and just kind of keeping your head down and and working. You know, everyone talks about COVID in a negative light and certainly it's been a challenge, but if you could pick out a bright spot for you this past year during COVID times, what would that be? Uh, You know, I'm lucky enough to have, (laughs) I know for everyone, it wasn't a bright spot, but for me to have my husband be able to work from home Mm -hmm. was so great for us because no traffic, no. And we also had the luxury of having a live-in person to take care of our kid. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the stresses of, you know, trying to find childcare that a lot of people had or the schools closing because he's only four. And to have my husband home more Mm -hmm. was, we did love that. Like (laughs) selfishly, it was just, you know, it may not have been a great business move, but for personal move to be able to have dinner on time together every night, which was always harder pre-pandemic, you know, oh God, it's so great, you know. Well, and what our listeners don't know is that you were also going through a renovation at your house. So not only is it COVID, but you have no sense of normalcy. Kate and Raheem's house are is absolutely incredible. Uh, I feel like I want to like throw up the before and after pictures whenever the after is going to be because, you know, remodeling it never ends. But to have chaos, Kate, at work and at home, I mean, having Raheem home, I'm sure was really helpful. It wasn't just chaos at home. It was like, so we were supposed to move in, in 2019, uh, the end of April. So we were renting houses and we moved in three different houses because of, you know, everything taking longer. So the last couple months of a renovation is when all the fine details go in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. The countertops, you know, the, the lighting, the cabinets and we went into shutdown, what, end of February. So the two months that was supposed to be, and we, you know, be put in, and it, because we live in Vancouver, Washington, not Portland, uh, Washington State stopped all construction. Oh, my God. So we were supposed to move in in two months. Had to, actually. We didn't have a choice because the place we were renting, the house, the guy was going to sell it, the owner. So we were like, okay, so we're moving into a house with, like, no electric. Oh my God. <laughs> you had a headlamp. <laughs> my husband had to look, he learned how to be an electrician to at least get some electric in, in certain parts. We didn't have, I mean, oh my gosh, we didn't have, you know, the dishwasher. We didn't have, we, we did get the cabinets in and we, we had plywood put down for countertops. We kind of pulled in some favors of people we knew and, and we're just also doing work ourselves. Oh my gosh. You're like YouTubing how to, how to connect electricity. We were actually, we were. I've done it. (laughs) We didn't have a choice and we were living and then we're moving in with our au pair and our child and like, oh my God, they didn't have a place. It was just such chaos. We had, we moved out of that house to do the renovation with no shower and only a bathtub. We moved back in after years of renovation oh with God. only a bathtub and no shower because the tiling couldn't get done because the oh, tiling okay. But I mean, it's we're just- definitely going to have to put the pictures of your renovation before and after <laughs> on the She Shatters <laughs> website and then put you under the word resiliency. 
Hey, adversity is part of life. You have to enjoy life with the adversity. Otherwise, you're just going to be miserable. And there was also so much to laugh at yeah. at the time. And you know my husband. Like, yeah. he has a great sense of yeah. humor, luckily. And, you know, you're stressed about things, but you're laughing at it at the same time. Like, how is this our life? <laughs> well, and you have to. And I was just going to ask you, what advice would you give to our listeners uh, or to yourself about resiliency. And I think you just basically said it. I mean, you've got to push through it and you've got to laugh and you've got to find the silver lining. Right. And, you know, yeah. I, mean, I think for you too, it's, you talked a lot about, you know, your immediate family, your work family, but then you have Raheem and you have, you know, Piari and you have Rohan. I mean, all the members of your family. And then you have had an our parent, which has been nice from a childcare standpoint. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. But also like, you have to have acceptance sometimes, you know, things suck and you just have to have acceptance of things. I don't know how you feel about this, but I know a lot of people say like, oh, things will always work out or things happen for a reason. That's the one. Like people who say things happen for a reason. I actually really hate that. Me too. Oh my God. I hate it so much because yeah. I have to go into the hospital and what reason am I going to give this person who's you know, doesn't have long to live and I, you're the one having to tell them. I really, really, really hate that. But there's been patients who they're at the end of their life and they have it with grace. And still, even the short time they left, have left, like I just had a patient that he had Parkinson's and he wanted to do death with dignity. So I was one of the physicians signing for the death, death with dignity. And the reason why he was in such a rush to do it is because you have to be able to give the medication yourself physically and with Parkinson's and in your eighties, like you can imagine having to, you don't want to shake that all over and then waste it. And he was worried he wouldn't physically be able to do it soon. So, you know, we extradited that and got that. And, you know, so I asked him like, Oh my gosh, you, what you have, what are your goals of of this process? And he's like, you know what? I'm good. I have the date in mind. My, my goals for these last couple of weeks is I'm going to go home with my wife and his wife was amazingly supportive, you know, and we're going to have these great couple of weeks together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is on my terms and I may not have much time left, but I have these goals and I have this acceptance of it. And he did it with such dignity and beauty. It was, you know, awe-inspiring, really. It's motivational and it's also, it just makes you realize, I mean, I feel like acceptance is the hill that you have to climb to get to the other side, right? You can deny, deny, deny so many years, whether you have alcoholism or your illness or whatever it is. But once you kind of reach that point of acceptance, there's so much beauty on the other side of acceptance. And I know that sounds kind of cliche and weird, but it seems like once you kind of get over that piece or you say to yourself, I can do this. Like you said, with I have this yeah. family at work. COVID's here to stay. I'm trained for this. I got to revisit my paper. I don't have any yeah. like, <laughs> I'm going to YouTube some videos. Like it is what it is, you know, pulling up your bootstraps mm-hmm. for lack of a better word and digging deep into it. Right. And I think that that is so powerful and an emotional thing, especially as you're seeing someone die, but having them have the control to be able to make that decision is huge, right? Yeah. So huge. It's beautiful that he had, and a lot of the patients, I, cause I always ask people who are in the life, you know, just, they amaze with me sometimes with the kind of dignity and insight they have. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. Not all. Not everyone has, has coping skills. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we can have another podcast on those ones. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, I think coping skills are a necessity for resilience, for life in general. <laughs> exactly. If you could yeah. kind of highlight for us, you know, what is, if Kate's mantra, if someone said, what is Kate's mantra? You had an Instagram post and you got to put Kate's mantra. What would it be? Mm-hmm. Mm. My, my mantra that kind of is the tough one. I kinda, I think I always strive for something <laughs> to be better. I, mm-hmm. I think is the biggest thing for me. I'm, I'm someone who I always have to be looking forward to something or trying to achieve a goal, or if not, even if that goal is enjoying current life and accepting what I can't change (laughs) (laughs) to have something do something to some goal to have in my life, something to strive for that, Mm -hmm. that to me is um, always gives me a good outlook, always gives me, you know, a good purpose for life. Even if, uh, that goal is appreciating my current life. <laughs> I like that. I think a lot of people think mantra has to be like this big billboard thing or something that like no one's ever heard of, but the reality is, you know, the power to learn. One of the things I love about you, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is one, you're pretty, you're a very real person. And two, you are always looking for something new. You're curious. You like to try different things. You love design and you love art and you love different cultures. And I think a lot of people sometimes are often just very myopic. They don't think uh, a little bit larger. And I think you see, I feel like you see the world in color versus just black and white. So I love what you said about your mantra. That's really good. one. Well, I think being able to travel so much, having your eyes open to the way, way other people see things, view things, do things differently. I'm pretty passionate about that. There's more than one way up the mountain, you know, and uh, I love learning other people's paths and ways up the mountain and appreciating that and how it's different than my own. Absolutely. Kate, it's almost like you knew that I had a segue. Okay. So this is my favorite part of the podcast. We were delving into some serious stuff, did a lot of reflection, Um, But I'm going to pivot a little bit to some fun and food for thought questions. So for my listeners out there, Kate has no idea what I'm going to ask her. So super on the fly question. So Kate, if I told you that you could live in only one place in the world and I gave you a one-way ticket, first class, of course, to go there, where would you choose to live and why? It includes my husband, right? (laughs) Yes. I'm a dog and (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'll charter um, a private plane. Where do you want to go? <laughs> can it also involve travel? Because it involves time travel. I want to live in 1920 Paris. Ooh. When all the artists, you know, like were there, like uh, discovering their art, creating their art, like some of the some of the great modern artists, whether you know, Picasso, some of the great poets, like oh, it was such an exciting time. I would love to be in 1920s Paris. Now, if you're talking current, you know, I am a beach person. I, I like just chill, natural things, way of life. So I would probably go to either Java. Sumatra or Bali, Indonesia, but definitely probably Indonesia or Sri Lanka. Maybe Sri Lanka. Okay. I'll, I'll go Sri Lanka. <laughs> I've noticed that it's hard to find one spot, 
but yes, we'll give you two because you the time travel <laughs> and then current situation. So maybe I should edit the question for the next guest. <laughs> oh, I love. I um, Can it be an option? <laughs> Well, it kind of goes back to your um, always having goals, right? So after you've gone to 1920s Paris, then you will head over to Java yeah. or Sri Lanka, wherever. That sounds awesome. I would be right there with you with, in Bali. I've spent a lot of time there myself. And I absolutely yeah, love, I love it. it. Just being on the beach and the culture. I mean, for someone like you who loves culture and art and dance and music, like that, it doesn't get better than Indonesia, to be honest. Yeah. So. All right. So here's another one that's a little bit more reflective in nature. Please answer the following statement with the first response that comes to you. What is one thing that you would love to learn to do, but you are scared shitless to try? Hmm. You know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm scared shitless of a lot of things, to be honest with you. So flying a plane a little bit, but I, I do have a fear of that. Yeah, I do. I never did before, but I have kind of turbulence and things that never affected me are affecting me more. Huh. Uh, I think since having a kid, oh, okay, I, yeah. it, it is. I think it's just your own mortality and fear when you're flying with him. I just have, I have more fear, but I really would still like to learn to fly a plane. Awesome. Ooh, that's a good one. I haven't heard that answer yet. So I love, I love that response. All right, my friend, our time is up. It's happened so quickly. Thank you so much. I love what you said about just reconnecting with your team during COVID and kind of being a place of home for you during Mm -hmm. such a turbulent time. I don't think a lot of my guests have been able to say that. Um, I think home has been kind of a retreat for most people. So I love that you've had both um, to kind of get through uh, the pandemic so far. The dedication and hard work that you've done and you continue to do each and every day to help these sick patients and patients in the hospital and their families during COVID really always hits home for me. So I'm so thankful to know you and physicians like you as you guys are truly needed right now. So thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your story today. Oh, thanks, Hannah. And thanks for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Because burnout is real. (laughs) (laughs) There is not a shortage of burned out people. So yeah, very true. Yeah. So thank you so much, my friend. Hearing Kate share her story of resilience during COVID highlights the importance of connecting as a human being first and doctor second. Kate's ability to dig deep within herself and continue to push forward despite the pandemic is a true testament to our healthcare professionals who have been on the front lines of this ongoing COVID battle. As women, we are all searching for what lights us up and keeps us healthy. And together, we can learn how to burn bright and not burn out. For more information on this episode, please visit us at www.sheshatters.com. Thank you for joining us on the She Burns podcast. We are so grateful for your time, energy, and support. For more tips, resources, and tools on how to burn bright, please visit us at sheshatters.com or on Instagram at sheshattersllc.com.